0: Hello everyone, I'm Mark Weinstein. Welcome to the first episode of season number nine of the Cedarville Stories podcast. Thinking back to the previous 200 programs that we've aired and the stories those podcasts represent, the podcast team is amazed with the stories we get to share with you. Thanks for being a faithful listener. And as I think about the programs from those first eight seasons, perhaps there wasn't anyone more powerful than the two programs with Ferris Welsh in early June. If you haven't listened to those programs, I encourage you to go back to the archives and listen. You'll be glad you did. So let's move forward to today's program and my conversation with Colonel David Carr, retired chaplain for the United States Air Force. Chaplain Carr retired this past April after a 27 year career of active duty and a total of 37 years when including his commission into the Air Force Reserves. He is a native of Cedarville, Ohio, and he graduated from Cedarville University in 1983. David was a member of some of Cedarville's best basketball teams in program history, including the 1981 team that won the NAIA District 22 Championship and advanced to the NAIA National Tournament. Individually, he is currently number 40 on the all-time scoring list with 1,248 points and number 18 in rebounds, was 730. He and his wife Stephanie have two adult children and four granddaughters. There's much I can talk with Colonel David Carr about today on the program, so let me welcome David Carr to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Colonel David Carr, welcome to the program. Well,
1: thank you, Mark, very much.
0: So I attended your retirement ceremony in April and came away impressed with how you served our country through the Air Force but also came away with an understanding of your profound love for Jesus, your family and our country. Before we get to those points, I want to talk basketball because I know basketball has a rich heritage in your life. Uh, You were a very good player on the Yellow Jackets back in the eighties, but you were also a standout athlete at Cedarville High School. And in one state tournament game, I learned that you played in, went to five overtimes. First of all, did Cedarville win the game, and how did you sustain that energy for five overtimes?
1: Well, yes, Cedarville did. Uh, Mark, Cedarville won the game. It was uh, over in the uh, University of Dayton Arena, and oh, it was my senior year. And we did win the game and continued on in the tournament. And uh, it was uh, it, obviously a great memory here. We're talking about it a few years later. Right. So a uh, great, great memory. I even remember the high school, Mississippi Valley. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did play. Uh, Play, played hard, and we had a, a good game as a team. But uh, I have to say that I didn't have to endure all five overtimes because as anybody who knows me and my basketball career, I usually had the philosophy of using all of my personal fouls. And so I remember an intentional foul near the end of the second overtime. That was my fifth foul. And so I oh. I got to watch the uh, the remaining three overtimes. And really our, our uh, guys off the bench won the game for us in the, in yeah. the final three overtimes
0: yeah but it had to be a great
1: it was great yeah it was wonderful
0: yeah so as I was learning more about you obviously you came to Cedarville to pursue your education but you also played for the Yellow Jackets Uh, you followed in your dad's footsteps he was a baseball and a basketball player here at Cedarville Uh, when you think back to your basketball career here at Cedarville University what memories come to mind
1: great memories mostly having to do with teammates, teammates and, uh, and supporters of the team. Certainly uh, Coach Callen, wonderful uh, yep. Im- impact in my life, both as a Sunday school teacher down at Grace Baptist Church yep. as a high schooler and then as a, as a college basketball coach.
0: How would you assess your spiritual and leadership development because you played for Coach Don Callen?
1: Well, the tone that he set for our team, you know, he, we weren't a perfect team. He wasn't a perfect coach and we weren't perfect players but the tone that he set for our team to uh, to focus on the Lord first and then to represent him to glorify him in every aspect of the game i think those those are the things that the, the development of men mm-hmm. to be men honorable men and then uh, to be people who f- are focused on serving the Lord in your life uh, i followed uh, in the in the footsteps of some really giant, giant men uh, in terms of their spiritual walk with God, uh, and they led the way, and hopefully I was able to do that as a senior leader on that team as well.
0: I'll talk more about your military career in a little bit, but were you able to take any of the lessons that you learned from Coach Callan into your military career?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, he was one of many people in this community and on this campus that sure. shaped my life, prepared the way for me to to serve well, serve honorably in the in the Air Force. What a privilege it it has been, yeah. and what a what an incredible oh. honor it's been to say I came from a little town in southwest Ohio yeah, with a wonderful Christian university there in the north end of town and to represent this community and this this uh, university all over the world. So it's yeah. been a great privilege.
0: And from attending your retirement ceremony, that was one comment that the new president of Liberty mentioned. He made a point that it was Colonel Carr from Little Cedarville who, who made an impact. But I also learned at, at that ceremony that your relationship with your wife, Stephanie, goes very, very deep. In fact, did I hear right that you met her when you were seven years old?
1: Yes, it was uh, it was early in life as a, as a grade schooler, uh, and seven is about right. There's, there's more to the story than that. Our, sure. our parents actually met here uh, as students uh, in the late uh, 50s, okay. and so— uh, her dad stepped away from uh, graduating her dad and mom stepped away from graduating here and went out to Idaho to get to pursue a doctorate and then came back to teach and right. and of course brought his young family so we were grade schoolers and friends from early on and then uh, that that relationship developed through high school and uh, even through college and then we were married 3 days after graduating really? from Cedarville College in those days and yeah. that was uh, 40 years ago this early June
0: and so we're recording this in May, the Monday after commencement, and you're, you stayed in town because you have a wedding to go to. Correct?
1: That's right.
0: Uh, our niece
1: uh, Tevia marrying Hayden O'Brien, yeah. uh, and that is tonight. So right. we're here. We're here for that wedding. Yes, indeed.
0: So one comment uh, from your ceremony that caught my attention was from you, and you said, "Growing up, you had two sets of parents. Explain." the ways Dr. and Mrs. Frank, who I know Dr. Frank, wonderful person, how did they become second parents, and how did you feel that love from them?
1: Well, yes, that's, uh, that's again, the incredible privileges of, of growing up here in Cedarville, because uh, again, I said uh, my parents and Stephanie's parents were friends and college yeah. friends before, before we came to be. And then uh, they uh, they were involved in our youth group at, at Cedarville, and Grace Baptist in Cedarville. Okay. And so we they were kind of our youth sponsors. And so um, uh, then with my friendship with Stephanie, I would often go over to their home and uh, enjoy a Sunday afternoon meal, for instance. And they treated me like a son, and I learned so much from them as uh, second parents, in a sense. And so uh, to have all these incredible people, wonderful people. Right. My parents, her parents, and many others from this community invest in your life. That means that your responsibility is, is increased, and you need to get get after what the Lord has for you.
0: And you obviously took that seriously, um, and we'll get to that as we move now through your story. I know after Cedarville, you after your graduation, you and Stephanie went off to Northwest Baptist Seminary in Tacoma, Washington, where you were planning for the ministry. As I learned a little of your story, your education wasn't going well, and actually you were discouraged for a time out there. What did God do in your life that took you from struggling maybe at the seminary to being a little discouraged, and then God?
1: Well, God has directed the path all along the way, you know, and uh, discouragement doesn't mean that uh, things have gone off the the track, right? Uh, Struggle and discouragement is is used of the Lord just as uh, good times are used of the Lord. We all know the we're to count a joy when we encounter trials. And so right. without trials, we don't grow. Right. And so there was there were certainly trials in those days and um, trying to provide for family, trying to work full-time, trying to go to school full-time, and uh, you get a little weary, and, uh, and that's when you're susceptible to discouragement. And I didn't really have good direction, but what God did is he provided that direction. Combined the ministry aspect of the calling— uh, to a, a specific direction and uh, that direction was to the to the serve in the military. Okay. And uh, he brought someone to chapel who spoke about the opportunities there and I said, "Well, that sounded just like me and I'm going to pursue that." And that then uh, led to some difficult times too. Uh, we we waited quite a long time to to actually accomplish what we had hoped to to accomplish, but uh, God used every bit of it sure. and uh, and I have a wonderful uh, a uh, memory of my my grandfather who's built a few buildings around this campus yes. who would say that nothing is for nothing and so we kind of carry that theme through life and know that God uses every little bit to get you where you're supposed to be yes and um and and that is uh, how he has worked in my life
0: so back in in seminary when you first went there what did you have in your mind that you were going there for like what did you want to do how did, how would you use that degree right.
1: Well, I, I wasn't sure when I went. That's, that's okay. That's, you weren't even that, that I wasn't sure. I, I I didn't know that. I didn't think that I really had that much of a desire to be a, a local church pastor. Okay. But I knew there were other things to p- could potentially consider, some hospital chaplain work and other okay. other kinds of uh, uh, full time ministry work, and certainly as open to missions as well. So that's that's what happened, and uh, my, my mission field became the military, and God made it pretty clear about
0: that. And you've definitely had a very strong military career of, of service, uh, not only to our country, but to the Lord. Before I move into really the military aspect of your career, at your retirement ceremony, uh, you expressed gratitude for the support of your families during your life. In fact, you requested that your retirement ceremony, I believe, be held here at Cedarville University so that more family could attend. And you also said, and I quote, our grandparents served others, our parents serve and their children serve. Speak to the importance of Luke 638 in your life, where it reads, give, and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over.
1: Right. That was put in the, that was put in the program there by, by design, um, certainly as a, a way to say thank you to the people who've invested in my life. But, but that verse is one of the favorite verses of the man I mentioned earlier, Hugh Carr. Uh, we have a dorm named after him on this university, We do, and he built several buildings and served several years here, uh, making the infrastructure of this particular campus great. But he, he would often say, uh, famous for one-liners, I mentioned one of them earlier, <laughs> uh, nothing is for nothing, but another one is that you only get to keep what you give away. That's an interesting, uh, interesting statement, isn't it? You only get to keep what you give away. And then he would quote that verse you just quoted. Yeah. And he was a giver. He was a server. He served. That uh, heritage of uh, service has gone down through both of our families. I could go through Stephanie's family and talk about how they served the Lord. To have the heritage of faith that uh, that I've been blessed with certainly is just yeah. uh, words can't describe what that means. Yeah. So, um, So I'm really grateful for it. And uh, hopefully our lives and our service will honor those who've gone before us. And that's, a, that's also a true military concept too, isn't it?
0: It is. Yeah. So in talking with Mark Womack in preparation of the day, as he was a former teammate of yours, he mentioned to me that in his mind, in his eyes, you were the most godly person on his team, maybe the college that he knew. How did the Lord and when did the Lord really get a hold of your life to really commit Wholeheartedly to him. Has that always been the case? Well, I came to know the Lord
1: as a as a young boy uh, through through my mother's influence, my father's influence for sure, but my mother led me d- to the Lord as a young boy. But I I actually uh, I I thank Mark for that. But I was uh, really quite a hot headed and uh, not well behaved uh, young person mm-hmm. uh, up until about uh, about uh, junior high level, and then someone uh, I respected looked looked to me right in the eye and says, this behavior's got to change, and uh, it, it really sunk in. And then, you know, through the influence, I got to tell you, of uh, the people who invest in local churches, and I've already mentioned them, right? Dwayne and Joanne Frank, Don Callan, Nedra Callan, uh, these people who invested in the uh, young lives in a church, in a local church, and, and did the hard stuff with uh, walking through young people, youth and junior hires in their difficult years. They helped develop, and then the influence of, of my extended family, too, yeah. uh, uh, challenging us to uh, read the word, understand the word, and memorize the word of God.
0: Yeah. You truly are a rich young man. I'll use young because you're younger than me. Not because of what you do or how much you make, but because of the relationships that have been invested in your life. Is, it, is that how you feel?
1: I certainly feel that way uh, 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 and even as we think in the more, more recent years in in the military the the people that God has brought into my life to to challenge me to encourage me to uh, yeah. to hold me to a standard of uh, of excellence you know yeah. in in the air force we we have core values one of those is excellence in all you do and so that has been what we strive for and when we represent the Lord certainly mm. that that should be true certainly that should be true if folks who don't know the Lord are challenged to be excellent, then certainly those of us who do know the Lord should be and strive for excellence. And yeah. uh, that's very kind of Mark to say that yeah. kind of word for me. Yeah,
0: we talk about excellence in conduct here. Uh, that's one of our core values. We mm-hmm. talk about in the past, Dr. Dixon quality stamped all over it. Yes, Dr. Dixon. So another one. You've had great tutoring all along the way. Mm-hmm. And you've been able then to share that with the people you've served, right?
1: Well, I, I hope so. I, I surely, that's been my, uh, my commitment, my desire. I get to now lead 30 people down at Keesler Air Force Base, uh, varying uh, ages and, and levels of responsibility. And uh, hopefully I'm uh, building into their lives, encouraging them live, uh, to live uh, honorable lives and to serve well and uh, to invest in other people. Right?
0: So let's stay there and yeah. talk sure. about the, the 81st training uh, wing at Keesler Air Force Base in Mississippi where you're the principal advisor for religious matters, as I understand, to the wing commander. What were some of your responsibilities in this role?
1: Uh, so, we, so we in the Air Force, uh, we believe in building into people both altogether all physically, mentally, sp- socially, s- spiritually, certainly. We have a, a spiritual pillar still in the Air Force that, wow. that uh, the Chaplain Corps is looked to. It's our primary responsibility is to invest in that spiritual pillar Toward anybody, any airman in the Air Force, and then also any joint—that uh, means Army, Navy, Marine Corps—warrior that would be on base, right? And okay. uh, so we provide the uh, opportunity for the free exercise of religion as as per the First Amendment. And then, um, uh, then when folks are in, in di- difficulty and stressed, then our teams provide good counseling and uh, help in- encourage the training process. It is an air education training command base okay. and so we we take the young lives right out of basic training at Lackland and then they come to various bases around the country to learn their skill their trade that they're going to provide to the air force and we have an awful lot of them come to Keesler uh, certainly in cyber and in and, uh, and weather and other types of skills and uh, sometimes in their training just like in i in my training they get discouraged and they get troubled and they they need someone to talk to on a confidential basis, and we, we step in to do that. My, my role, primarily as a leader, is to make sure that all of these folks younger than me that I'm leading are developing in their skills and developing in their ability to someday lead a team of 30 someday, right? Okay. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my role. So, and, uh, and also to advise the commander whenever he would have a question as it relates to spiritual issues across his wing.
0: Right? And it's always, you're, you're always working in the spiritual domain. With the commander and with the people. That's correct, yeah. Okay. Doing our best. So, because I don't know. Sure. Are there chaplains of different faiths in the Air
1: Force? The First Amendment uh, provides for the free exercise of religion. Right. And religion could be other religions than mine. And so it is a unique, interesting thing. Uh, Most chaplains are indeed from a Christian background, certainly Catholic and Protestant. And then other chaplains could be from, from a, a Jewish background or even a, a Muslim background, uh, not as many, but some. They all might be a combination of the, that, might be on the team that you're leading. Okay. So you do your best. Uh, you're endorsed by the faith group that you represent. I am endorsed by a group called the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches and have been for 37 years. And, uh, and so I, I never, I would never, do anything that would be in opposition to what they believe. so I, I if I can't provide what a person needs on a base, then I work to provide for okay. that person as per their request and, and get them the what they need to uh, to honor faith as they want to express it. I'll do my best to do that.
0: okay mm-hmm. so as a leader who is basically giving guidance mm-hmm. and demonstrating biblical leadership to men and women throughout the Air Force or in the Air Force, how are you able to stay spiritually, mentally, and physically in shape or strong? Because when, when people are constantly giving like you are giving, it can be draining. So how, how do you draw or where do you draw your strength to continue with what you're doing? Well, I would say that
1: that, that goes back to the previous question. And, and uh, when, I, when I look at uh, being a leader of uh, Nearly thirty people. I am always assessing how they're doing. Is they've give given and given and given and given, and when yeah. to draw them out of the fight, if you yeah. know what I mean, and yeah. get make sure they get rest. And so I have to manage my own energies that way. We might have a, a crisis on a base, an accident. I can think of even on a training base, which isn't really is kind of a step removed in support of the war, true war fighting mission. You know, you can have accidents on the base. You can have air accidents. You can have vehicle accidents, and you, you can have tragic things that happen. You can even have suicide events. So those are all yeah. where the chaplain steps in with spiritual strength okay. and takes care of an entire community, just like, a, a, like our base is larger than this little town, right? So it's right. 4,000 people, and you, you step forward, and you uh, care for people until which time you can resume and get, keep going with the mission.
0: So if I read your, your profile correctly... Obviously, you, you you work on training bases a lot, mm-hmm. but you've also been deployed, I think, mm-hmm. what, three times?
1: That's correct. Four, four times. Four times. Yes. yes.
0: So where have you been deployed, and how does your work change when you're in a foreign country?
1: Mm-hmm. Whether you're working on the installation, on a base, uh, uh, for an Army chaplain to be a post and, or a ship in the Navy, whatever— uh, you, you represent the Lord in every aspect sure. as much as you can, and, and uh, certainly uh, speak the truth that we know uh, yeah. and, and share the gospel at every opportunity. But the, but in, the mil, in the wartime setting, yeah. when you're out deployed and uh, you're closer to the war, you're closer to uh, the folks in harm's way every day, people are much more tender to the gospel. People sure. are much more interested in what the chaplain brings to the fight. People are much more interested in, in having uh, deeper conversations. And so your, your workload ratchets up pretty significantly. And uh, three of those deployments were just 100-day deployments. But they all came in succession early, right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. I think I may have been one of the first, first chaplains to ever get out, uh, uh, move on out with special operations folks after 9-11. And uh, th- those are times when we're actually launching into Afghanistan, right? And we, okay. and we f- were flying dangerous and difficult missions every night. And so those air crews wanted to be prayed over. They wanted their cr- aircraft to be uh, prayed over. Protected. Yes. Uh, you know, 40-year-old aircraft going out to do a very difficult mission in the dark of night. And uh, it-, it was a privilege to step forward and to be a part of the frontline ministry right there to— uh, to care for people and to answer their questions and to calm their hearts and to uh, mm-hmm. represent God in the midst of very, very uh, tough times uh, early on in Operation Enduring Freedom, we call it. Sure. And then uh, later, as we uh, kind of supported that mission
0: at uh, Bagram Air Base, in yeah. Afghanistan as well. So during these missions, you pray for the, the mission itself. Are you on the plane? At any time with the airmen, or are you staying back on the base? We uh,
1: joined crews that would request us to join them. I remember one Christmas Eve uh, mission that they requested that I join them, and uh, we we uh, actually were delivering a, what we call an airdrop to actual warriors in in country, and I was able to to, to pray with them over their over their radio system and and to to, to bless the the season and to call upon god for his kindness and blessing favor and protection and uh, they ask you to do that but mostly it was during pre mission briefs okay they would often uh, it would often look like this the aircraft commander would have his team around him his air crew and the the weather would report and the intel intelligence folks would report and then the chaplain would pray and then they would launch out into the night and uh, then then uh, i would be there to receive the aircraft too and they would have a, a debrief and we would uh, thank God for a successful mission. So this is a great privilege uh, in those days, yeah.
0: Absolutely, so throughout your career, which ended uh, the last day of May, what kind of transformation did you see the Lord do through your ministry in the lives of airmen from beginning to end? Well, the most
1: important thing is when we'd be able to win uh, a soul to the Lord, and uh, we got to do that quite a bit. And I would say more often when there was a wartime mission, right endeavors and uh, uh but to see lives changed and to see lives encouraged and to see people faithfully walk with the lord yeah. and then to see uh god honoring staff uh, team members uh, colleagues developing their abilities to serve others in this in this way too it's not too dissimilar from from a professor at Cedarville University who over the course of a semester gets to watch uh, yeah. the growth of a student and, uh, and watch them develop skills that they're going to use for the Lord going into the future. So these are really, really powerful things.
0: There is similarities, but given that we believe a majority of the students who come to Cedarville are already believers, and so it's a discipleship kind of yes. model concept, mm-hmm. you may have discipleship opportunities as well, but probably a greater chance for um, salvation.
1: Yes, it's it's not an easy thing to to uh, to be evangelistic on a, on an Air Force installation, right. but more of that happens when people come to you and uh, because they're hurting, and you can provide direction as to the answers to their right. their, their need uh, through what we what we believe to be the, the truth. Yeah. Right, so yeah. we get to share the truth in that setting and get to do it a lot. I, I would say that yeah. I've talked to in a counseling way. I've talked to probably, you know, five to 6,000 hours of counseling over these years of people just coming to. And I always try to talk to them now, unless I have something incredibly yeah. pressing. I mean, I was even finishing up in my office last week and um, a young airman, one third my age, uh, mm. came knocking on the door and I, I, I you know, I wanted to go home to dinner, but you know, God says, um, no. This is a life that needs needs to uh, needs sure. to hear encouragement now. So so that's a great privilege.
0: It is a great privilege. Mm-hmm. So since Cedarville is close to an Air Force base, right, Patterson, about thirty minutes down the road, I know the transient nature of the military life because I see people coming in and out of my community, moving in, moving out regularly. How often did you move throughout your career, and how did you see the relocations impact your family? you had two, two children, obviously a wife. Right. How did it impact them, and how often did you move?
1: Well, growing up in Cedarville, you know, we didn't move a lot. Uh, I, I lived in the same house first 20-some years of my life so until coming to campus. And so to, uh, to move into the Air Force now, I, I was a reserve chaplain for the first 10 years and okay. uh, got to do some pastoral experience and do some, uh, some counseling work, and even worked in a hospital for a time. But but in the 27 years of active duty, we moved. Uh, we had 13 different jobs and 13 different moves. And so I've hung a few uh, curtains and, and <laughs> pictures in my life, and uh, feel like I'm pretty good at that. But uh, the the question is, uh, how has it affected our kids? Were 10 years and 12 years old when we came on active duty? We went out into Edwards Air Force Base, which is you know out in the high desert above Los Angeles, and and uh, Quite a desolate looking place, but it was an incredible, wonderful place to live and to serve. And um, and then on to Turkey. And I remember the day that uh, you know I got the one line email saying Izmir, Turkey. You know, Four Twenty Fifth Air Station, Izmir, Turkey. And my son said, "Dad, where in the world is that?" And I had to you know show him. So it, did, it does affect young people, and it does affect uh, children. I think our two, they were they were old enough that they were able to adjust. They only had to move three or four times, and they had wonderful impact as, as serving uh, with our family, serving uh, in, in the chapel ministries, serving ch- uh, children's church, and, um, and they, they really labored with us uh, in those first three or four assignments until which time they headed off to university.
0: So you, you mentioned university. I'm just curious. Your daughter swam competitively at Florida State, so when they introduced her or put her, list her down in the program, where did they list that she was from? In what city? (laughs) Or what country?
1: That's right. Yeah. Where was she from? Well, we were actually serving in Holland when she was recruited to Florida State. Uh, She, we had also served in, at Hurlburt Field, uh, Fort Walton Beach, Florida. So that's where she had uh, been on a swim team and she uh, knew the uh, coach that had been positioned over at Florida State, and uh, so she had a, a you know a network to contact into there. She did really really well at Florida State, and uh, certainly her mother and I were were having her asking her to be interested in Cedarville too. Uh, but uh, but there was no swim team here, so it was a hard hard call catch for the for that. But she also uh, applied at the U.S. Air Force Academy and got accepted, but she chose Florida State. Thanks. So. She didn't have a hometown. Well, I don't know where she would consider her hometown. She lives in Florida today.
0: You mentioned uh, earlier about uh, a joint assignment. Uh, You had one in Germany and one in Colorado. What's a joint assignment?
1: Well, um, over the past 20, 30 years, uh, we've had a few key missions overseas that haven't gone well because the Army hasn't uh, been effective talking with the Air Force, uh, talking to the Navy people. So well, we developed what we call warfighting commands, joint okay. combatant commands. Okay. They're kind of the tip of the spear of what we mm. do for our nation. And there are 11 of them. And I was privileged to serve as the senior chaplain of two of them. Wow. So we have one in Europe, Europe that works with NATO, and I, uh, and that's called European Command. And I was privileged to serve that command and that four-star general there. What a great privilege that was. And then was moved to U.S. Northern Command, and Northern Command is uh, associated with the uh, NORAD, North Atlantic uh, Defense, and so we, we are responsible for protecting the homeland, and that's yeah. out at, at Peterson Air Force Base, Colorado, or Peterson Shriver Garrison, it's been named. Yeah. Yeah. That's when all the, uh, that's when key pe- leaders from the Army, Navy, Air, Air Force, and certainly Marines, and even the Coast Guardsmen come in and they work together so that uh, so that if we ever have an important mission, which we've had several since and done very well, there's good communication and um, good delineation of responsibility, okay. so that the mission is uh, that much more effective than it than it was previously. So that's that's what a joint combatant command okay. is. Yeah, it's a higher profile yes.
0: position than just not just but working with the right. Air Force.
1: Yeah, and then then those those commanders work directly with, then with the Pentagon. Of yeah, yes. Yeah.
0: I We are running out of time. Yes. I have a few questions I want to add. Sure. I want to finish with. So of all the places you've served and the positions you've held, uh, do, is there a favorite assignment for you and Stephanie that you guys draw upon like uh, with greatest fondness?
1: I think she would say, "So unique." It was our second assignment. Uh, certainly, we, we uh, went to Izmir, Turkey. Now, Izmir is uh, the modern name of the Turkish city for Smyrna, ancient Smyrna. Right. So, uh, an hour away is ancient Ephesus and Philadelphia and Thyatira. So, uh, all seven churches we were able to take uh, as the as the junior chaplain on a staff of three chaplains. Uh, we we would uh, organize. Wonderful seven churches tours in two years we did four or five of them, and uh, to get in in the history and such a unique place when it was still safe and reasonably good to you know to be in Turkey and to be moving around Turkey uh, uh, to visit places like Cappadocia. So so the travel I would say, and the, and the ministry was wonderful too. We we served as the lead pastor of a primarily a gospel uh, congregation, Protestant congregation and our chapel was a a catholic cathedral amazingly so we were uh, uh, providing protestant services to a gospel congregation in in a in a catholic so very unique ministries
0: that we get to do in the the chaplain corps so now that you're retired Mm -hmm. what's next for you
1: well thank you i I know that the lord was uh uh, very intentional to to get me where i where i've been the last 37 years and And uh, I, I'm comfortable uh, just stepping away from the Air Force, resting a bit, and uh, just kind of waiting on him to see, see what ministry's next. Now, we're, we're not retiring from the Air Force because we have to. We've reached an age limit, a mandatory oh, okay. retirement date, but uh, we're not retiring. We're going to continue to serve the Lord wherever he uh, calls us to serve him, and it'll be a great privilege to do so. He'll lead us, and he'll, he'll take us to that place, I know.
0: He will. My last question, and since you're a board of trustee member here at Cedarville, uh, I need to ask you a question uh, in that regard. So as you serve on the board and as an alum as well, what do you see that offers you bright hope for the future of Cedarville University? What gets you excited about Cedarville?
1: Well, whenever the board meets, which is three times a year, and we get to fellowship around the great things that we get to hear as board members, you know, that the things that the faculty uh, are accomplishing, things that the students are accomplishing, the the growth that we see in people, the excitement we see in students in campus, and then the support of the, the skill set of the administration and the support of all of the uh, faculty and staff. It's just an exciting place to come to, yeah. and it's an exciting place to visit just for a few days even, and uh, and then we always look forward to coming back. And we really love to be together. I would just say yeah. that your trustees uh, uh, really enjoy being together and uh, sharing in the joy of the place. Now, that doesn't mean it's a perfect place. It doesn't yeah. mean it's, uh, uh, it it isn't under under attack from time to time from the evil one. Uh, we Absolutely. would expect that, right? right? We know we're going to suffer a bit, but, uh, but it's a, a great joy to serve in this way to be able to serve as a trustee and to gather together uh, with colleagues who love this place, love what God's doing here, are excited about the future, for
0: sure. And it's a great place for your four granddaughters to Yes, I educate, would say. Right? I would say, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: and it'll it'll seem like it'll be here faster than we think.
0: Like yeah, Absolutely. Well, Colonel David Carr, I want to thank you for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories Podcast. Thank you for your your ministry, your service to our country, and I salute you for all that you've done on behalf of the Lord and Cedarville University. Thank you very much. I wanna thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider, and be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville Story for God's glory.